everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. This week, we welcome Dr. Bridget Williams, who's the owner of Green Harvest Health, a medical cannabis company and life coaching clinic. She's a leader in educating physicians and professionals and patients regarding the benefits of cannabis and CBD, and also demystifying the misconceptions. Bridget, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, having me come on today. My pleasure. As I mentioned to you, I have zero experience in this, so I'm going to be literally all ears. How did you get into cannabinoid medicine? Yes. So I have a 20 years experience at the Cleveland Clinic and probably a little bit too early on, I started getting a little frustrated with traditional medicine. So family doctor, board certified, you know, you're on that 15 minute clock. For every time there's a diagnosis, there's a pill, you don't like the pill, add another, you got side effects, add one more. And I felt a little frustrated. I felt like I knew more and I could do more. And I felt that my patients were frustrated as well. And so um, I started actually kind of long story short, helping patients get off of their medications by really digging into life change. And one of those patients mentioned cannabis as a way to kind of help with her symptoms. She was just cleared from breast cancer, just diagnosed diabetic. And her daughter, teenage daughter was just diagnosed uh, bipolar. So she was very stressed, very overwhelmed. And I'm a Reagan kid. So when she mentioned cannabis, I took a step back or two, right? Nancy taught me well, but it was a time, this was about 15 years ago or more. So it was a time when I had a lot of patients that were talking about homeopathic approaches to medicine. I would always look it up and give them my medical opinion. I looked up cannabis. I thought it was going to be kind of a joke and it was... I was blown away by the information that was even available 15 years ago. And I followed her, decided to follow her in her journey, was reading feverishly as she was using cannabis for her symptoms. And she, her blood sugars were normalizing. She was actually losing weight, sleeping better, stress was better, and was more productive with work and her family. And that really got me intrigued. So then fast forward when medical cannabis became legal in Ohio, I wanted to take a part. So I got certified, got offered a job with a clinic that said, we don't really care what you know. We just do cards. And so I wanted to take a leap and I became certified as a cannabis educator as well as a life coach because that was a big part. I didn't even know what life coaching was originally. And, but that approach to helping people was a big part of what made me successful years ago. And here I am. That was amazing. Okay. So let's back up. Yes. You went, when did you go to medical school and where? Um, I went to College of Human Medicine, Michigan State University, and I graduated 2001. And then did a family medicine residency. Cleveland Clinic. And then did you, did you have experience with cannabis before that, be, like when you're in college or medical school? No, I'm, I guess I want to say like a lot of people in medicine, but that's not necessarily true, but I had zero experience. I growing up, my best friend's cousin, who, who was a little bit older, was very scary to me and smelled of cannabis all the time. And so neither one of us ever thought about it, tried it, even considered it. It found out years later, she was self-medicating for bipolar disorder. And she was actually brilliant in how she was coping. But of course, as a kid, I did not understand that. So I was terrified of it. Yeah, it's so funny. I just told a story before. One time I was playing basketball with my neighbors when I was 16 and their, their older friend came over, put me in a headlock and held what he said was a joint up to my lips. 
And I remember like struggling and fighting and not inhaling. I saw like Bill Clinton and not inhaling. Funniest part of the whole thing is last name was Roach. And I, uh, didn't t- I didn't even make the connection in time how ironic it was that some guy named Roach is forcing me or trying to to smoke pot. And then when I was in college, I was an RA and a hall director and I never did. And so right. I've literally been, you know, now I'm old as Moses and I still haven't. But there's clearly a, a group of people out there that really benefit from marijuana. And, and I... I, like I said, I don't have any background in it. So did you ever think, looking back and, you know, connecting that's backwards, that, that this is where you would end up? Um, not at all. I, I, I could foresee maybe doing, you know, I have a BS in psychology from the University of Michigan. I was always interested in coaching and counseling, you know, as it evolved over time. Um, so I could have seen me approaching medicine in a, a different manner, but never in a million, million years that I think I would incorporate cannabis. So you do physician coaching as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's actually most of my coaching practice is helping physicians that kind of lost their way, lost their confidence and helping them kind of get back on the right track. So most of my coaching practice is that, though I do what I consider medical motivational coaching where I work with patients to kind of help them get beyond their diagnosis. But my training um, from the Physician Coaching Institute is really about helping other healthcare workers uh, kind of get it together again. And when did you take this, as somebody took this entrepreneurial leap at the Cleveland Clinic forever, and all of a sudden you're like, all right, I have seen enough, I want to do something else. What made you take that leap? Um, I think there was a, I really thrive and being creative. And I think that's always been a part of who I was. And so I was always looking for ways to make even medicine more interesting for my patients. And so long before any of this happened, I actually owned a small business. Difficult to run when you are, you know, working full-time for the clinic, but I was making custom party hats for that were puppets. And I had a manufacturer and I, I was very, very busy and was winning awards and all of that. And so I always had this entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I took a step back because it really got so busy. I had to decide between medicine and party hats and I chose medicine. But that was always a part of something that really was exciting to me. And so when this kind of evolution in my career happened, the idea of adding my entrepreneurial interest to medicine was a perfect match. That is really amazing. And then because of that one patient and the benefits she had with it, that was your impetus to say, okay, I need to learn more about this. Yes, absolutely. Wild. In in your physician coaching now, do you do you coach physicians say, hey, you know, you're suffering from XYZ. Maybe you should try inedible. Maybe this would help you. Mm, never. Um, nearly. I mean, uh, I don't, I shouldn't say never, but to be honest, they're so separate that many times my physicians, clients probably are unaware or limitly aware that I have a medical cannabis practice. And so they, no, it doesn't really come up though. I'm not against saying that, but it's just hasn't never really come up. You know, when I learned all about you, I'm like, okay, this, this woman's really cool. I got to talk to her. I was, that's why, that's what prompted the question. I was trying to figure out how those two things intersect. It's like, oh, I'm not sure I want to counsel physicians to start using marijuana. No, no. What, because I think this is such a potential risk for providers, even if they have a medical marijuana card to do. I mean, if they're, you know, alcohol is easy. If you have alcohol in your system and something goes wrong and they test you, you're kind of sunk. With marijuana, it stays in your system for quite a while, right? And so I wonder how that plays out. Because how do you prove you are, how do you prove you're not 
intoxicated at the time. Correct. Absolutely. So that is a problem. And obviously there's a lot more work that needs to be done in that area because not only is this an issue in the medical field, I have, I have a small amount of physicians that have cards that have come to me. I have a large group of nurses that have cards that have come to me, right? So this is in the medical field. We need to have better testing because the fact we need to look for another metabolite. We need to approach this in a different way because just because you test positive for THC metabolite does not make you intoxicated at the time of the testing, right? So, and I'm not anti, obviously I'm not anti-cannabis, but it, it just really hasn't been a focus of what I do with my physician coaching. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I've always just wondered, you know, in Arizona, marijuana is legal as well. I've got a friend of mine who's one of my partners. His wife owns a big cannabis processing plant in the dispensary. And I've always had this, you know, I've had people approach me and ask me if I wanted to invest. And I've always kind of stayed, I've always really stayed away from it because again, I don't understand it as much, mm -hmm. but I've always kind of wondered about this juxtaposition of healthcare workers who use marijuana and then it shows up in their system if they have a bad patient outcome, how are they going to disprove that it was related to their impairment, if they have any, from cannabis? And I don't right. have an answer. And the, the problem is, is that we're still looking at this, obviously, as a scheduled drug, right? And the fact of the matter is, is that it can do so much, give so many benefits to people. It is no different than any other substance that you would use to help a condition. The one thing I think people are unaware of is that you can very easily use cannabis and never experience a euphoric high. There's ways to balance out your CBD and THC. And a great majority of my patient population are trying to avoid the high. They don't want the high. They just want the benefits of the plant, right? And so we need, as a, I feel sometimes almost even embarrassed that as a medical community, we haven't kind of stood behind this and realized that this is a better option than your Percocet or Oxycodone, that it can give better some results for anxiety than a lot of the antidepressants and less addictive than your benzodiazepines. And it's a safer alternative and it's effective, right? And so we're always saying that we're waiting for more, you know, double blind randomized testing, but we need to be smarter and really stand up for our patients as well as for ourselves for that matter, right? Responsible use is always important and I really advocate for that. But right now we are making choices that don't necessarily lead to responsible decisions as far as healthcare for ourselves as well as for our patients. Yeah, totally. I just was, you can tell by looking at them, I just walked out of the emergency department and, you know, the benzodiazepine and uh, opiate is rampant and God knows all the other drugs. So, yeah, we, it certainly can't be any worse than what we've been prescribing for years and certainly less addictive. When someone comes in, they say, so is marijuana in Ohio legal or is it only with a medical card? Is it legal? So it's only medical. Um, you have to have a card. So when someone comes in and says, look, I think I want a card. What sort of conditions or complaints are you giving a card for? Like, what's right. the boundary? Absolutely. So we have a little over 21, 22 conditions that we're able to provide a card for. And in Ohio, they have to have medical documentation of some sort, right? Some states, you can simply state the condition and that is enough. 
to get a card, but you do have to have medical documentation here. And the conditions range, uh, you know, chronic pain is going to be number one, PTSD and fibromyalgia. Those are the top three. Then after that, we're looking at, you know, obviously cancer, hepatitis, sickle cell, inflammatory bowel disease. I don't know if I said Tourette's, AIDS, cancer. You know, there's a number of conditions that apply that people can benefit from. Interesting. And then when you start someone, do they say, okay, I want to smoke this or I want an edible or I want to do both? How, how is it prescribed? Right. So we don't officially have prescriptions, but yet we give recommendations. Um, many of the physicians stay clear of it completely because they just haven't invested in the cannabis um, or cannabinoid medicine education. Smoking is also prohibited in the state of Ohio, so we they don't want you to combust anything because that you know combustion leads to a release of carcinogens. So they actually recommend vaping of flour or even cartridges, um, which really allows you to get the flour to a boiling point that releases the cannabinoids. Right. So smoking is is not something that we discuss, but typically I look at what their conditions are and then I create a treatment plan that I think will address that, meaning the type of modality that they want to use, meaning edibles are great for bedtime and sleep because they last for six to eight hours. A vaping is great for someone that has migraines because it is kind of an abortive treatment. And I'm always very focused on cannabidiol. And that is really the cornerstone of cannabinoid medicine and that making sure that it fits in there some way, because that's what's going to repair our endocannabinoid system, you know, keep our receptors healthy, let our natural endocannabinoids that we currently have in our system work better and longer. So I try to make sure that patients are not totally focused on THC because THC is the icing on the cake and should not be the cake itself. It should not be the reason they're doing it. Interesting. So, I mean, this took a lot of vision. If you look back and say, do you think your practice is going to get where it is today? I mean, when you look back and say, gosh, this is going to blow up, because I have the sense that for you, it's kind of blown up. I mean, it's, it's probably become, you're probably super popular. It's gotten busy. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it a cash-only business or does insurance um, No, uh, people can use cards, you know, for, it's it's like any other doctor's office that does not take insurance. Well, yeah, I got, is that what you mean, that, that we don't take insurance? Yeah, we're not taking insurance at this time. So it's pretty much cash or they can use their HSA card. Do you think this will be one of these things in the future that 50 years from now, we're going to look back and say, oh my God, were we naive back then that we should have been doing this for years? Yes, without a doubt. What do you think then? Do you think the same thing about microdosing psychedelics? Like, okay, guys, we should have been doing this years ago. You're taking me a little fast. <laughs> um, I think there's the potential for that. You know, I'm a fairly conservative person, and it took a lot of research for me to get to a point where I realized that we were missing the point, the missing the boat on cannabis. I suspect that it's very true that with that that might be true for psychedelics as well, but I can't say I'm jumping on the bandwagon fast. I would have to do a lot more research. I mean, the few, so, you know, I used a lot of ketamine in the emergency department, which is not psychedelic, obviously, but there's clearly benefits that I've seen from people using ketamine. Mm -hmm. I've had, I've had, I'm not sure they're friends, but people I know who've been microdosing psilocybin and they literally mm -hmm. swear by the effects for anti-depression and chronic pain. Yes, I've read some about that as well. So yeah, I do think that, I think medicine will change. I think patients are going to demand for change. But at the same time, I, you know, I met people that are creating synthetic cannabinoids 
you know, in this country as well as like in Israel and what have you. And I think pharmaceutical companies are going to really jump on that bandwagon. And because they're going to be able to get that FDA approved and get insurance coverage, I think there's going to be a swing of the pendulum back to possibly some pharmaceuticals again. But I do think patients are demanding something different. And I think we need to be ahead of that. You know, I'm part of the generation that was writing opioids like crazy. And I remember very clearly being told if they have real pain, they'll never get addicted. Right. And so I'm very much aware that I patients needs a different option. And I don't think we provide good options. Yeah, no, that I agree with. And, you know, now at least in our state, it's nearly, it's not impossible. It's, it's makes it's very difficult to write opiates. And I never written a lot of them anyway in the emergency department because I just never did. Boy, you know, all of a sudden we literally shut the faucet off on all these patients. So now they're kind of screwed. And so what are they doing? They're going to heroin. And now we've even made the problem worse. And, you know, I have these heroin acts come in. I'm like, hey, I don't blame you. I get it. You started here and now you're here because the spigot was shut off. So what can we do to get you off this total roller coaster of, of life? Yeah. Do you think, have any of your peers looked at you differently since you started doing this? I mean, have you become a little bit of a pariah? Because I think a lot of physicians are like, oh, you know, with the big eye roll. Um, <laughs> I don't really hang out with a lot of doctors. <laughs> um, I think my roots in psychology are probably a little bit fitting of my personality more than my uh, medical friends. Um, yeah, I've gotten the eye roll without a doubt. I think I also kind of hit a point that um, I didn't care. I think I was getting the eye roll before that. So I don't know if I really care. I, I, the difference is, I'll, to be totally honest with you, a lot of physicians I know are unhappy. Yeah. And that is part of the reason why I started doing physician coaching, because I was an unhappy physician. So when I see someone in their structured practice rolling their eyes at me, the difference between me and them, I'm still seeing patients. I'm still helping people. The difference is, is that I'm happy. Right. So I think they should get coaching. So let's change subjects for a second. What do you think of them? Give me the five biggest challenges that the physicians who you're seeing in your coaching world are experiencing. Number one, burnout. Number two, anxiety, lack of confidence, control issues lack there of control most of the time, being strictly overwhelmed and, and trying to, you know, get a hold of it. I mean, I could go into family and life balance and all that, but I think that's probably just obvious. But I don't feel like we take good care of our doctors. No, if you, I, you know, I started reading more and more about physician suicide and I was a totally sickened and appalled by the rate of it. And there was a read an article about an orthopedic surgeon, I think in Washington, D.C., they call him like Dr. Happy. He was this great looking mid-50s year old guy with a huge smile on his face. He did rounds and went home and hung himself or shot himself. He'd be like, you know, and this guy was like the orthopedic surgeon to the stars. You know, this is incredible. Right. But you can, you never know. Um, I think a, another part of it, besides the fact that at one point I was the unhappy physician, when I was in residency, uh, one of my peers, so uh, I was at the Cleveland Clinic and I was at one of the satellite hospitals, which is, you know, Cleveland is set up with tons of bridges and valleys. And um, one of the residents jumped off the bridge. And again, you know, there is no face of depression and suicide, right? It's that it could be the happiest person you know. I think when you add all of that together, I took thing, I was aggressive about, ha I own my own happiness and I have to be able to own that and pursue it. 
And so I wanted to be able to be effective with other doctors. And I mean, I talked to a lot of um, residents and medical students that are just the process, sometimes the hazing that still exists, the insecurities. I mean, it's a, it's a very unhealthy career. Mm-hmm. And and you have to own you have to take ownership to make it healthy. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And the people that you coach, is there a demographic that skews one way or another? Is it older, younger, men, women, um, surgeons, non-surgeons? Oh gosh. I, I probably see more women, but I, I don't know if that's because they're seeking me out as a woman. But Not see, much. a lot of I don't know about where you are, but more hospital health systems are actually creating some sort of department or support for these type of services, right? So I've developed contracts with some health systems so that if they have a medical student resident, you know, staff physician that they feel could utilize assistance, you know, I'm not in-house. So there's a lot of safety with that. And they connect me with them to be able to give them that backing to kind of build them back up again. I mean, really, thank God, because you hear these little enclaves of residents and medical students who all of a sudden three or four people will kill themselves in the same class, the same residency. I think it just happened this year, actually. And and it's such an absolute waste. And there was an article I read about a physician who tried to kill himself and it didn't, thankfully. And he said for him was a kind of a split second decision after months of frustration. And it wasn't something he thought a lot about. It was like, you know, screw this, I'm done, boom. And fortunately, he survived it. But he, you know, there's, I guess, death by a thousand cuts that, that led him to even get into that point. I mean, in my perfect world, I think every physician needs some sort of coaching. We don't all need therapy or counseling, right? But I do think we need a balance, someone that can help make sure that we're treating ourselves well, treating our patients well, so that we haven't lost our way. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong in being a physician, whether the the pressure, the ego, the um, imposter syndrome. Uh, There's so many things that can go wrong that having someone that can kind of be on the outside and looking out for you, I think, would be wonderful. You're right. Wonderful for everybody. And, you know, I've always said this for years. If you're not in medicine, and really if you're not a physician, it's pretty tough to understand what we do, or at least what all the potential of how we feel about things. You know, I remember sitting and I had three drowning kids literally in the course of about three or four hours one day. And um, I went out and sat in the helipad and a friend of mine calls me up. He was working with me in ED and he goes, hey, you okay? And I go, yeah. He goes, like, why did you call and ask me? He goes, because I'm watching you. There's a helicopter overhead, a news helicopter. You know, I was down in the, you know, had my hand, hand on my, uh, my face in my hands. I'm like, oh, great, you know. Hey, but I remember thinking, you know, unless you're in the game, it's pretty hard to understand what that feels like. Yeah. And and it's impossible to be in this career and not have experiences along that line of some sort that where you are beside yourself. Right. And, you know, we have HIPAA and we don't really discuss cases and and we have to have a, you know, have a stone face and, and be there just for the support and for the medicine. Right. And so I think it is unreasonable to just say, you know, you should know how to suck it up because everyone doesn't know how. And it does lead to some behaviors sometimes that can be self-destructive one way or another. Um, Physician marriages are not doing well if you look at the numbers. And so I think we don't work hard enough to take care of our own. 
Yeah, you know, you said suck it up. And I mean, I'm in the era, you know, I've got some years on you, but I'm in the era that it was like, you know, one, if you were a woman, it would get 10 times harder than a guy did. And, you know, the whole suck it up thing was, what are you complaining about? I, you know, I did this, now you're doing this. And so fortunately, I think hopefully that's changing a little bit, but it's still obviously pervasive. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. How has COVID impacted your your business? Have you seen your have you seen the volume of your patients go up and the volume of your coaching uh, needs? Um, absolutely. So first of all, I think pretty much nationwide, I su- suppose that the cannabis industry was considered essential because it, a lot of people have gone off their traditional pharmaceutical medications and replaced it with cannabis. And so it gave people an opportunity that didn't have time to consider it. It gave people um, an opportunity that were really struggling with everything that went into COVID and job loss and the anxiety of it to seek cannabis as, as an option for treatment. I definitely, my coaching definitely went up during that time. More that it was, you know, I usually have set programs that I do for longer term coaching, but I was definitely doing more short, concise coaching because people were afraid to make that investment into coaching at the time. So, but I, yeah, I've been more than busy. That's, that's well, that, I mean, that's great. I mean, it's been an incredibly tough time for people, obviously, but if it's, if people like you are out there helping, you know, physicians cope and get through and patients cope and get through it, it's, it's a huge positive. Okay, let me ask you a medical question. I see a lot of people in the ED who I suspect have cannabinoid hyperemesis. Mm. I explain it to them, they look at me like, you're an idiot, and no, I don't. And then they keep okay. coming back, and I'm like, oh, you haven't stopped yet, huh? Well, what should I be telling these people? Because my sense is once you get it, you're kind of screwed. You yeah. Every time. You know, there's still such a lack of understanding around this, right? But the, the basic understanding of this is that if you are a cannabis user and you're a chronic cannabis user, that for some of them, they end up in a situation where they have this intense um, ongoing vomiting that occurs, right? I think originally they thought there was some sort of pesticide involved in Australia and there was all this stuff that people thought a long time ago, but that's not the case now, clearly. And it's simply related to people that have chronic use and they've tried different approaches to this, changing the strain they use, changing the amount that they use. But at the end of the day, if your body starts to respond to cannabis in this way, it's nearly impossible to change it. Your only option is literally taking in a lot, lot less. What I tend to do with patients that I try to really wean them off of it entirely, really start them on a CBD regimen to, because a lot of times your endocannabinoid system becomes dormant if you're using a lot of THC. So I try to get them completely removed from this. CBD actually can repair your endocannabinoid system, but it's hard. I I will tell you, I'm not necessarily very successful with keeping people off of it for any long period of time because they're not quite sure what the outcome is going to be. And the people that I've seen on it, in the US where I've diagnosed it, they are miserable vomiting. I mean, they're not just thrown up once or twice. They are it's horrible. Like hyperemesis gravidarum. They are miserable. Yeah. Is it yeah. the THC or is it the cannabinoids, or does anybody know? Um, as far as they know, well, I, I don't know if they know entirely. Like the focus has always been that it's THC, that if you're using just like a CBD product, you're not gonna have that same problem. But in whether you're using a cartridge, like a process form, or whether you're using actual, you know, natural flower plant, people still get this response. Like I said, my best approach has been to start over, right? Get it out of your system completely. 
um, repair your system and then see if there's any potential for you to kind of pull back. Yeah, I can picture these people too. And after the third time, I finally convinced them to maybe try and not do it. And then six months later, they'll come in and I'm like, oh, you tried it again, didn't you? And they were like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I haven't done anything for six months and I smoked whatever. And right. now that I'm miserable, I'm like, oh. Yeah. I've seen some studies where people are using Haldol to, you know, control the response in the ER. And it really kind of with yeah. a little, I think Benadryl and that that was working a little bit, but I think we're still in an unknown state. Yeah, I wish Droperidol was still around, you know, but for the QT thing. Well, Dr. Williams, this is really, really enlightening for me because it's, you know, one of the millions of things I know little about. So this has been great. Where can people find out more about you? Absolutely. So my website is Green Harvest dot health where people can read out reach out there instead of a dot com it's a dot health and also you can reach me at dr bridget md.com very good now can people see you and get a marijuana card virtually so no we do do virtual visits still in ohio but you do have to be a resident of ohio with an ohio license or a state id passport but yes people do you can easily anywhere in the state of ohio um you can do a virtual visit that's very good well this has yeah. been this has been eye-opening thank you very much i really absolutely. i really appreciate your time and good luck with everything absolutely thank you again i appreciate you Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.